House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Okay, we've made it back, and uh, now joining us uh, is two contributors to the book of Tragedy in Aurora, the culture of mass shootings in America. So joining us is Lonnie Phillips and Sandy Phillips. Thank you for taking some time to talk today. Thank you Thank for you having us. So um, let's start out with um, how did how did you get involved in the book with Tom Diaz? And, and we'll start with um, Sandy. How's that? Well, we met Tom several years ago uh, when we first got involved in this issue um, after our daughter's death. We started reading everything we could, and we came across two of Tom's books. Uh, one was um, uh, The Last Gun, and the other one was, uh, I can't think of the other title right now, but they were both so good, and we learned so much from them that they kind of became our Bible. And um, then we were honored enough to meet him and hit it off beautifully with him, and a friendship was formed. And so when we got to talking about wanting to do a book, um, he said he'd love to write it with us, and we said absolutely. We were absolutely astonished that he would want to do that. So very honored to have worked with him and to call him friend. Now, with Aurora and the tragedy that happened there, um, what's your connection there? Let's, for the listeners, um, uh, see, see, kind of, kind of fill in uh, for listeners who, who, what your connection was. Sure. Um, our daughter Jessie Redfield Gowie um, was living here. She had left. We lived in San Antonio, Texas, and she left there to um, come to to Denver and finish out her education and start her career as a sports journalist broadcaster covering hockey, um, ice hockey, and uh, loved it here. And we really saw her grow from the young lady that we brought here to a really wonderful young woman. And uh, she went to the movie one night with her best guy friend who was visiting from Texas and uh, never came home. Well, she did. She came home in a cardboard box of ashes. And uh, she was shot six times with a 223 from a semi-automatic AR-15. Um, and if you know what those bullets do to the human body, I don't need to be any more descriptive than that. Um, how did you first hear about uh, Jesse's death? Well, that's a two that's a two part story. Uh, the first part is that I couldn't sleep that night, and the phone rang. Uh, well, I take that back. I couldn't sleep that night. I was texting with my daughter, um, and I said, are you guys still up? And she said they were at the movies. And I said, okay, we'll talk tomorrow. And she said, I can't wait for you to come visit next week. I really need my mama. And I wrote back, I really need my baby girl. And that was the last text message we had. And about 35 minutes later, the phone rang, and it was the young man that was with her who was like a son to us. And the phone rang, and I looked down, and I thought, that's weird. Why would he be calling me? They're at the movies. And I picked the phone up, and um, there was screaming going on in the background. And uh, he told me that he thought he had been shot once, not twice, excuse me. He thought he'd been shot twice. 
And uh, I knew then that something was wrong because Jessie would have been calling me had she been okay. So I asked where Jessie was, and he said, I'm sorry. And I said, is she okay? And he said, I'm sorry, I tried, and he's a paramedic. So I concluded very quickly that he was giving me really bad news. And I said, oh, God, Brent, please tell me she's not dead. And that's when she started screaming, and I was in a dead sleep, and she's such a horrible, guttural sound that I was out of bed immediately, thought someone was attacking her, and ran into the living room, and she was sliding down the wall telling me that Jessie's dead. And I grabbed her, took her to the couch, and tried to calm her down. And finally she, uh, you know, I got her to, to talk, tell me a little how she knew that she was dead. And she said, well, Brent's a paramedic, and he told me that he tried to save her, and she's dead. And so that's the moment that I knew that I no longer had the same wife, and I no longer had a daughter. Our life was beginning in a completely different realm. Now, now, you've taken that grief and you've gone into the book and, and, and you're putting this out here in September. Um, what is it you want people to get out of this book? What do you want people to get out of this tragedy? First of all, that they need to be involved, that their voices matter in this issue and that it's, it's really not about partisan politics, although it's become that way. We've polarized ourselves in America to the point of being uh, ridiculous, and we just have to step back. I want everyone just to take a deep breath, step back and say, do you want this happening to your child, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your your loved ones? Do you want this to happen to them? Because it it's happening at such a high rate anymore that you're one degree of separation from this being your story and you do not want to walk in our shoes. So this book goes into great detail about how we got here, how, how this country got into this this culturally polarized, polarized position and it and it analyzes uh, the steps that we can do to, to get out of it. It, it goes into what the, uh, the big national gun violence prevention groups, have, how they failed and uh, what they've done right and what they've done wrong, and how the gun lobby has managed to outflank us on every turn. We haven't had any any uh, any kind of federal laws on any kind of gun control for 25 years since the Brady Bill, and we think that's that's wrong. And we think that the book shows us how we can start fixing that with some survivor grassroots that is going to start uh, taking effect in this country. And until that happens. We're in a world of hurt. How do you how do you think you can address um, people on the NRA side, the people that believe that um, uh, to regulate a gun all of a sudden turns into confiscating the gun, taking away their gun? Like, how do you address them? Like, how is it you're going to get that point across to them? Well, you have to have two sides that are willing to listen, and unfortunately the far, far, far radical right <clears throat> doesn't want to listen. They just have dug in their heels on the the catchphrases of the NRA, like guns don't kill people, people kill people. Um, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Uh, slippery slope, you're going to come and take my guns. Nobody has ever, ever talked about taking anyone's guns. 
In fact, all the, all the laws that are being proposed um, do not address confiscation. They only address regulation. And in the 2A, it says what? A well-regulated militia. So they like to leave that part out. And right now, in America, we are not regulating well at all. So um, it's time to do the right thing, and it's a public safety issue. It has to be addressed where we're going to have this continue and end up God forbid, in a civil war. Yeah, I quite often see we have a, a lot of Canadian connection and, and, uh, and countries that are in the free world in the West, like Canada, um, tend to do better as far as gun regulation as well as mass shootings. Um, yeah. and, and how do you, how do you get that across to people that guns do kill people? Well, you just keep hounding at it, and you you keep the facts out there, and you get the grassroots building, which is happening in America. I mean, we're we're seeing more and more people join the ranks of saying something. You got to do something, and demanding it, and and that's a good sign uh, because there are people from all walks of life. They're uh, mostly women and mothers who are concerned about this issue because every day when they take their children to school and drop them off, they're afraid that they may not come home. So when you see the country that, that you know, Sandy and I have been since the Aurora shooting, we have been to 14, we call them public mass shootings, uh, as to, uh, different from regular mass shootings because public mass shootings is when someone is armed with a gun, usually a, a white male, and it's usually an AR-15 because that's the killing machine that's chosen by our military, and it's the one that does the most damage, walks into a public venue and kills as many people as quickly as possible. That's his motive, and that is his purpose. That de defines a public mass shooting, and those mass shootings is what's driving the policy changes in this country. They say, well, it's only 2% of um, the murdered people in this country. Well, that's absolutely right, but it drives all the news media. It drives the policy changes. It's, uh, it's kept the NRA from passing even more uh, bad gun laws. So we really need this book to point out how this country is unique and in the world, in this, in, on this earth is having this amount of public mass shootings. And the reason is too many guns in the hands of too many people that shouldn't have them. That, that's exactly true. Um, here in Canada on December 6, 18, uh, 1989, a young man named Mark Lapine went into Montreal's Ecole Polytechnique and murdered uh, 14 young women there and 13 other people were wounded. And after that, uh, there was a lot of uproar around uh, who should have these kind of weapons um, here in Canada. And so uh, there was a coalition for gun control created, and uh, their efforts contributed to the November 1995 adoption of a federal firearm control legislation. People can still have guns here. It's just there are just a few more hoops you can jump through. I mean, I, if I want to have an AR-15, I can have one. The things I can't have are uh, a mass clip, like the one that we saw in Dayton, Ohio. 
uh, which held a hundred rounds. And I mean, that man killed uh, nine people in a in a span of thirty seconds uh, because well, he had that. In in our in our case in the theater, he had a hundred round magazine as well. And fortunately for the rest of the people in that theater, it jammed. And guess what the manufacturer did after that happened? Instead of taking it off the market or having some kind of social conscience about it, they fixed it. And now it doesn't jam anymore. So the fact that the police were on the scene as quickly as they were and stopped the shooter in Dayton, um, you're right, he still killed nine people in 30 seconds. Imagine how much worse it would have been. And, you know, people say, well, if I'd had a gun, I would have stopped him. You, you don't stop an AR-15, and you don't stop an ambush. Um, that's just not the way it works. You just get slaughtered, or you're lucky enough where you've been able to hide and, and get away. Um, so the fact that they're on the streets in civilian hands is really where we need to be addressing this issue. Yeah, and and I'll say as well, like in the, in the case of Aurora, the movie theater, um, if you had a gun and you were on the good side, so to speak, mm-hmm. how would you know who to shoot in a dark theater? It, it's funny that you brought that up because Brent, the young man that she was with, who's like a son to us, is a concealed carry uh, person. He has a concealed carry license in Texas. Even though he flew there and didn't bring his gun, we asked him that question, the very same question. Well, do you wish you'd had your gun? He said, if I'd have had my gun, I would have killed more people. I would have been shot for sure myself. He was clad in armor. And the confusion, the smoke, the screaming, the holler, the movie was going on. And as you know, we know, the police themselves, trained experts, only hit their target uh, 30% of the time. And in his case, he absolutely would not have been or nor anyone else have been. By the way, there were other people in there with guns, which is not a known fact, that never got a chance to use them. So that theory is totally off the wall about being able to stop a mass shooter with this kind of weaponry. So now what we're seeing is the Dayton, Ohio killer imitating uh, the killer in Aurora. He had body armor, head to toe, so did ours. Um, our shooter uh, decided that he would have um, music playing in his ears. He had headphones on so that he wouldn't hear the people screaming as he killed them. Wow. Um and 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 they just stopped three more, I guess, didn't they? That were going to yeah. happen. Yeah, and that's terrifying. I mean, three again, three early twenty um, white males in America that are so angry at who knows what that they're dangerous and and um, they have the weaponry to do true harm to innocent civilians. So. You know, we're we're looking. We look at this as you know, we're killing our civilians like genocide um, in any other country. If it was any other country, we'd be saying they were at war. Uh, we lose a hundred people a day to to guns, and over two hundred that are wounded, and that amounts to two hundred and twenty-seven billion dollars a year um, in this country to to help and and rehab and treat. Um, those who have been wounded. Uh, it, it's not 
this is not just an issue of we are morally corrupt. It's financially damaging to our country. Yeah, and it's a, it's a very interesting point you bring up. It's not these these are white males. This is not a Islamic terrorist group coming over and killing Americans. This is homegrown. Homegrown. That's a terrifying thing, and that's another thing that's that's covered in the book. How how this has happened, and how we seem to have a whole uh, huge segment of our society that is has a, a troubled enough to and feel entitled enough or not entitled enough to choose to buy a weapon and do nothing but kill as many people as possible just to show um, their hatred. The, the one young man uh, out of the three, there was one that said that he thought if he could uh, have the largest kill count of a hundred or more, he'd, he'd feel fine with that. That would be his that would be his goal. Um, now, that's terrifying. That's really someone that you go, okay, and it's okay for him to have a gun because we have no regulations. Yeah. Now, you guys sound like pretty reasonable, average American citizens, and you've been around a few years. What is the reason that culture in America is doing this like have you thought about that like why is it that these young people um, are are angry or coming out and shooting and um, killing all these people and, and they're not doing it in other countries like in Canada or UK or Australia you know well uh, we, we don't know if they'd be doing it in Canada or anywhere else because you guys have better gun laws than we do you guys have the same crazies that we do yeah. they, they watch the same videos they mm -hmm. watch and this is in Japan, this is in all the countries all over the world. They watch the same videos, you have the same percentage of troubled people that do this. But this is the only place where you can go and buy an AR-15 out of the trunk of a car legally, no matter what age you are. Yeah. And we also have different laws depending on what state you're in. So people will bring up uh, quite often, oh, well, look at Chicago. Well, yeah, look at Chicago. It's right next to Indiana. Indiana has very lax gun laws, and guess where all the guns that are being used in these crimes are coming from? They're coming from across the border, and from Indiana into Chicago. So, you know, if, if, if you don't have these national laws that, um, that control uh, the issue from coast to coast and border to border, then you're going to continue to have these problems. But we have an administration right now that doesn't want to address this issue at all. So um, it's going to be up to the people to rise up and say, we demand it. It's just, it's just a, a, a crazy situation. Um, so do you feel your, your politicians are disappointing you? That's an understatement. We had no idea when this happened to us. We were, you know, we were totally oblivious to the laws and about guns in this country. We just, you know, they they don't get the regular mass shootings don't even get make the national news. Sometimes, sometimes shootings don't make the local news in, in places that have them all the time. The difference in this country is that you spoke with the politicians is that the NRA has bought the majority of the Republican Party. I, you know, that's just the fact. 
And it's the fact also that in the last election we had, we cleaned house in the House of Representatives, and because of this gun problem that is coming face-to-face with the American public, there is no choice. We have to vote them out in order to get these laws changed, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. And, and what, what's, you know, of course, you're aware of Alex Jones, I'm sure. <laughs> no, oh, you yeah. know about Alex Jones, just video Ronnie Phillips no, and Alex Jones. Google. Google. Uh, I'm sorry, Google Ronnie Phillips and Alex Jones. There is a video where he came down to, they had a rally in Texas, uh, the, uh, the gun rights movement at the Alamo, and we were trying to form a Moms to Men action chapter in San Antonio, so they made the Tim Black walk from their rally to our rally with Alex Jones with cameras blasting, and we just happened to be there. And a sparks flew, and we got face-to-face trading spittle with Alex Jones. Yeah, I, you know, and there's no no love lost here. He's he's a nut nutball, and I uh, I used to follow him on a show years you ago. You so many. <laughs> and and well, he's crazy. He's absolutely crazy. So so how? But how do you how do you deal with that? He's got six million subscribers to his show at the moment, and he's still um, on about most of these being crisis actors. That these are all fake oh, shootings. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we were told our daughter never existed, uh, and then two minutes later, he's telling us that she's alive and living in the Bahamas, and we're and we're like. First of all, how crazy can you be? Second of all, how terrible a person are you that you would say something like that to parents of a beautiful young lady that lost her life the way she lost her life? So you ask how we deal then? Yeah. How we deal with that? Well, first of all, you know, I, I come really, really close to having involved with a guy, but I just, I'm 75 years old and it would have taken me too long to take him out. So. <laughs> <laughs> instead, instead we we sued him. We have the, the Newtown group that he was the most horrible to has uh, has initiated a lawsuit against him and has gone to discovery, and uh, they have already shut down his platform once. So we're going after him legally, and he will he will be uh, obliterated. By we, he means the uh, gun violence prevention movement. Yeah, not, I'm speaking as a group uh, that we, we've uh, gone after him as a group, and uh, uh, that's the only, you know, he has a lot of followers that actually believe him. Exactly. And that's, that's the point when you say he's got 6 million followers. Out of that 6 million, how many has he converted into this sick thinking? Um, and that's where you get really concerned about the mindset of America and the ability to critically think, because we quit teaching critical thinking in schools a long, long time ago, and you see this whole kind of, we're devolving into a society that can be very easily led by what they watch on TV or what they hear on the radio, instead of thinking for themselves that that just doesn't make sense, and why would any government do that to its people? And why would any parent or any crisis actor um, continue that and be able to continue it for years and years and years and years and years? It's just fallacy. Yeah, and that, it really confuses me because I don't know, 
they're solid believers, and there's a whole fear uh, that he stokes that the government, oh. and, you know, it was Hillary who was going to come take your guns, right? You know, just simple right. as that. And then they make every mass shooting into a political thing. Well, he must have been a, you know, an Antifa person or a leftist or he's a socialist, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't, you know, the world is watching and they think it's crazy. Just, you know, just... Well, the rest of the world does. They yeah. do think we're crazy. And um, we had a friend just recently over in Ireland and was on a bus and they were from Texas and they got off the bus and the, the Irish driver was like, you people in America, you're crazy with your guns. We can go anywhere we want, anytime we want, and not, not worry, not be in fear of being shot. So and it was like wow you know they're they're laughing at us even in Ireland you know. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I'm laughing here in Canada. I I feel a little more heartbroken than that. Um, yeah. I'm I'm watching watching the division in in this country that we love. I mean, you're our neighbors, you're our closest neighbors, and we we love you guys, and we just wish you all would stop fighting amongst yourselves and uh, and and become united. I mean, this is a great issue to unify behind. Wouldn't it be nice if all of America could come together on just this one issue and say we should not be killing our own and we should not be killing our own children? I know it's, it seems like that we're really lost, but the fact of the matter is we are making progress at the state's levels and the grassroots levels. Once the grassroots starts gaining momentum as it already has with Parkland and with these other uh, two back-to-back -back mass shootings. We're having public mass shootings hourly now. Within 24 hours, we had two. So, yeah, it's driving a, a, a wedge uh, in between uh, this country and other countries. At the same time, it is, uh, it's, it's making our citizenry fearful enough to do something about it, and it, it is happening. We have hope. Yeah, I, I just wonder if, um, like when 9-11 happened, um, everyone pulls together and, you know, yeah. gets it done, so to speak. But when something like this is happening, why isn't it the same reaction? Like people are getting killed and everybody should come together and, and uh, face the enemy, so to speak. But now it's like we're, yeah, we're too scared. I think that the majority of Americans have come together on this issue. You know, it's background, expanded background checks, I think, uh, pulls in at 97%. Uh, banning assault weapons is up at, right at 70%. It's the politicians, and it's, it's, their pockets have been lined, and their hands are dripping in blood. Um, and until they do something about it and be pushed hard enough by the American public, and maybe that will happen in the elections next year. Um, but until they're willing to do something about it and, and, and stop the evil that they have um, bought into or been bought by, uh, it, it will continue. So we are hopeful that this next election, uh, we, do, we work with congressmen and senators all the time on this issue to write strong bills and uh, make sure that they're covering all the, you know, from crossing the T to dotting the I's, that everything is really um, tight because what we have seen 25 years ago with the Brady uh, background check bill is there were a lot of loopholes left in there um, and, and never never checked back on. 
we see that the assault weapons ban was allowed to sunset because there there were enough GOP votes in there to to say, oh no, that the NRA wouldn't like that if I did that. So um, you know, we we just really need to come together as a as a country that is united on this issue, and that will only happen only happen if the American people speak up. I think partisan media has a big uh, hand to play in this too. They're whipping both sides Absolutely. up pretty pretty good for some ratings. Absolutely, and we we've even noticed um, this last round of uh, where they were having the um, uh, what do they call the the dialogue with the the discussions with the, the not just the town halls but the debates. Oh, there the we debates. go. Yeah. My brain finally clicked in there uh, with the debates that a lot of the um, the broadcasters were bringing up facts that were correct for the first time on gun issues. Um, and we were like, whoa, we have been teaching them because we've been at this for seven years. And every time we talk with someone in the media, we you know, correct their thinking or correct a term that they use or, or let them know how that got the way it, it is now. And um, when you do that, sooner or later it clicks in, and we were really, really happy, first of all, that the Democratic Party made it part of their platform, so gun violence will be discussed, and second of all, that the media was actually getting terms and laws and um, facts correct on this without taking sides. They were just calling things out honestly. And that was refreshing. Yeah, see that, Mike? you got to start doing it right. <laughs> Blame it on him. <laughs> now, I'm, <laughs> I'm blaming it on him. Now, have you, have you guys got a website or do you have a, a place that people can go to find out more information about the facts, the numbers, and all this sort of stuff? No, not on our website. Our website is dedicated to, well, our website is survivorsempowered.org, and it's dedicated to helping survivors after they have um, experienced this trauma. So um, we have gone to, as Lonnie mentioned, 14 mass shootings now to meet with survivors in the community to make sure that they are aware of what's about to come at them um, as far as hoaxers, like you mentioned, Alex Jones. Um, which they're always shocked by, and uh, let them know that you know they're they're going to be offered counseling and and grief therapy, but they really need trauma therapy to get through this, and um, that there are different kinds and different ways of finding it. But you'll do a lot better for the rest of your life if you uh, embrace that immediately um, as soon as possible after uh, experiencing this. In fact, in El Paso, they had sixty. Uh, trauma therapists show up at their community center uh, immediately after the shooting in El Paso. They were so ready for this to, to possibly happen in their state and community that they were ready for it and deployed immediately. And that's what we need in every state, unfortunately. So I can say that if you want your, your listeners to learn more about this and what's going on in this country, they really need to buy this book. Because it has, it's delved into it, it's used other social scientists' opinions, not just Tom Diaz's opinion or our opinion, but opinions of, of people that's been working on this issue for 20 years. It goes into great detail about the, um, our culture and your culture and the history. 
So, and you can get a 30% discount if you order through the publisher, uh, Roman and Littlefield. Just go on in, in uh, the website. We also have a video of our 60-minute piece that tells what we do and what we've done in the past seven years. What tends to be the biggest thing you deal with when you have survivors? Is, is, is it really death threats? or? Um... No, it's mostly their personal trauma. Um, we know so many people who have ended up either um, in close to poverty, uh, not being able to work, um, not being able to fill paperwork out. In every one of these cases, you have mountains of paperwork, and if it's a, if the FBI gets drawn into it, there's even more. So um, just the paperwork alone is overwhelming for these people. So we always suggest that they get someone, a friend, a, a relative, but not too close a relative, that will help them um, fill out what they need to, to fill out because they they can't cope. Um, if they're injured and wounded, um, the needs are even greater because now you have physical wounds along with emotional wounds, um, and often they need wheelchairs or uh, uh, special beds or driving um, uh, accessories to be able just to live a, a some, somewhat normal life. So I think your, your question about, you know, what the survivors face after the um, public mass shooting and like that we experienced. And I can tell you that they get re-victimized oh, many, my. many times in, in many directions. And, and not just the holsters, that is a bad part, but also people that collect money uh, for you in your name and you never see the money. Uh, we had a big problem with a, with a uh, uh, community first in Denver that collected $5 million that we had to go to court almost to get the money and to... We had to go to the newspaper and we had to go to the center to get the money from them because they have a, a plans for that money besides giving it to the people that collected. They raise it for the, the victims and survivors, but the victims and survivors seldom see it or benefit from it. So there's all kinds of things that need to be addressed um, in, in the aftermath of these shootings that people don't even think about. And... Uh, and it's one of those things that we're working on because we, we have seen in the seven years that we've been doing this, repeatedly we have seen the same things um, kind of rise up to the forefront. So we know uh, we know how to help these people. We just need the funding to help these people. Wow. Well, um, I have to say it's, it's, it's a very important book. I think people need to pick it up, and we're going to have it on our website so people can do one click while they're listening and just pick it up and uh, we thank you for your work um, it's it's Lonnie and Sandy Phillips the book is Tragedy in Aurora the Culture of Mass Shootings in America um, thank you for all you do yes well, thank Mike you. and we appreciate you having um, us on and giving us this time thank you very much thank you You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.